0: environment.
1: Everybody, welcome to the Air Environment Podcast. She's the urban scientist, Aaron Schott.
0: And he's the environmental
1: pastor, Jamin Bradley. <laughs> you know, I didn't hear me say it, but when I finished the sentence, I was like, something felt wrong. What did I say? Urban he scientist? You called me an urban scientist. She's the environmental scientist, Aaron Schott.
0: And he's the urban pastor, Jamin Bradley.
1: I don't know who I am. <laughs> um, welcome to another episode. Uh, we just got done reading a... Uh, well, it was like a 13-hour audio book. Uh, <laughs> and the books I've done that in the past are about 500-ish pages long. So it's a pretty dense book uh, called yeah. Apocalypse Never, uh, subtitle: How alarmism hurts us how
0: environmental alarmism harms us all it's by a guy named michael schellenberger um he's pretty cool
1: yeah and i first learned about this uh book from uh, a bible scholar named michael heiser um who just sent it out in his like regular newsletter about what am i reading right now i'm looking at this book and i asked Aaron about it i was like Have you ever heard of this it sounds like this guy's not as freaked out as sometimes scientists are freaked out and he's well respected even by the scientists who freak out. Mm-hmm. Can you explain to me what's going on? And Aaron's like, <laughs> "Yeah, I've heard of it, never read it." And then we decided literally 7 days ago to read it. Yeah, so joke. So I was 3 chapters short of finishing. Aaron's already gotten through it. There's a lot to dissect and I have a lot of less Thoughts. smarter smarter things to say than Aaron <laughs> will. Um So I'll I'll at least, I'm going to start here. I'm going to start here and then you, you could just go go further. Yeah.
0: Uh, Well, I know like when Damon did message me, I was familiar with uh, Michael Schellenberger because he is a large supporter of nuclear power. And one of the reasons that I also support nuclear power, um, not the only reason, but the more I learned about it, um, the more I was like, Oh, this is a good idea. And he has a lot of Ted talks on YouTube. Um, So when you sent it to me, I was just like, oh, I know, I know this guy, but I don't know anything about this. And it's very poignant, like, right now, because environmental alarmism feels like it's peaked. It, like, peaked in 2019 with, like, the rise of Greta Thunberg's popularity and, um, like, the strike for climate change or, and all of that scene, excuse me. So... I started to look into it a little bit and tried to look at it from an angle. And the more and more I looked into it, the more I realized I'm going to have to read this book because it's just so multifaceted. And that is what this book is. It explores all of the angles that you have to look at it. And it's so dense. So remember that podcast we did about like the proper way to look things up and you have to have everything really like well-based in, Evidence and research—that's this book. <laughs> like, it's just every two sec- sentences. It feels like there's a um, footnote, like a footnote that you go to. And I kept—I have it on my Kindle, so I accidentally kept hitting the footnote and I'm in the <laughs> middle of a sentence. Um, which I uh, read this book in like, like three days with in tune with the audiobook, I would not recommend reading it the way I did because I was so (laughs) exhausted. So I had the audiobook on two times speed, and I'm just sitting here, click, 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 click on my my Kindle, and I sped read it. And, um, yeah, I would not recommend that because I would have to sit down at the end of the day and just, like, mentally and emotionally absorb everything that I had just read. So the first like three chapters are a great crash course in my master's, my master's degree, everything I was reading for a long time. I was like, yes, absolutely. Yes. Yes. And the farther I get into it, I'm like, yes. Why did not I know this? No. What? (laughs) Yes. This is such a good point.
1: Yeah. And that's where I'd say, this is like, so like I grew up as a pastor, pastor side, I grew up hearing the gospel one way. And then I read the Bible and saw that, It's not what I was told. And as someone who's not a scientist, okay, so like you're the, if you will, the pastor of the science world, right? Sure. (laughs) I hear science preached a certain way and the articles that make the headlines and all of this. And then I read this book, you know, from a science scientist who's like talking about the same things, but just as Jesus like reframes everything it felt like he was reframing everything i'm like have i heard the science gospel wrong my whole life and like now i'm being bastardized into another (laughs) better understanding of this so
0: absolutely i just felt like like because some of the stuff you know how when we talk about on our podcast when i say here's some things you could do and i try very hard to say if you can't afford to do this, or if it's not something that you can do, don't feel pressured to do it. And it goes so much for this book where he's talking about uh, like poor nations and how rich nations institute things on these poor nations that make zero sense for them economically uh, in order to like thrive and actually get to points where they can like the help with climate breakdown and, like assist us in conservation or have asked for help for conservation because they're so they're so below that level and not because they're terrible but because they don't have money they don't have infrastructure like you don't think about these things and like neo this is like colonialism has like like driven all across africa so we have to take the historical context of like white people coming in and telling them how to run their country—it's not cool—and we do it constantly. So it's—it definitely is just—it was just reformatting everything I learned and like things like, like uh, Greenpeace. I thought Greenpeace did good things. Uh, I—they don't do great things. <laughs> <laughs> learned a lot about Greenpeace this week.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's. I I think what I really enjoyed about this book and what I'm finding interesting in some other books I'm reading right now on different topics is like justice continually comes to the forefront of like, uh, like if we could fix the justice problems, the injustices, we could fix a lot of our, (laughs) like the scientific things that we're trying to face as well. You know, like, so like I'm currently reading a book that uh, it's trying to, help people today who are struggling with christianity and politics try to reframe their thinking to like think a little clearer on the subject and he gets into matters of like pro-life conversations and abortion he'd be similar to me where like pro-life i aim to be pro-life in all things but like he then lays out all the stats of like poverty injustice and the things that lead so many people towards like abortion and when i looked at Like a lot of this, what Mm -hmm. this guy was saying is like, we see this wrong with the world, this wrong with the world, and this wrong with the world, and we're addressing (laughs) like, we're just trying to, we're causing injustices in the world, and if we could focus on the justice piece and fix these things where like, we're doing injustice, it would fix a lot of these other things, you know? So like, people in poverty, well, if we took care of the people in poverty, then we wouldn't see this happened to the land and this right. and that, you know, so.
0: Yeah, no, yep. it's, it's, it totally recontextualizes everything that, you know, and like you have to take history. You have to take every aspect of it and that can be really overwhelming, but you have to acknowledge that it all happened. Uh, like they were talking when, there's a part in the book where they're discussing, like, Brazil is trying. I think it's Brazil. There's guys, if I say this wrong, there's so much stuff in this book. And <laughs> I read it.
1: <laughs> this um, book is very dense. Yeah.
0: Brazil's trying to improve their agriculture and get more money for it. So they were trying to do a deal with the European Union. And two main countries um, who were against that were being really vocal about how they think that Brazil needs to improve in certain ways for the climate and out of nowhere. And they're like, well, why are these two countries really, really insistent on Brazil and how they act for the climate? And then they looked at it and they're like, Oh, these are the two countries that would not benefit from Brazil, Brazil, having like being lifted up through agriculture, like it would hurt their farmers. So they're just using, they're using um, conservation as a way to stop, stop something that would help a different country. And it was just, like, mind-blowing to think about. And I think, actually, when you emailed me when of my 40, when
1: you texted me about that. Hang on. Wait a minute. <laughs> People email still. <laughs> what, what am I, 40? <laughs> Seems like something that 40-year-olds would <laughs> so do. Emails are like a landline telephone in your mind all of a sudden. <laughs> I'm very confused. <laughs> That's
0: fair. Um, When you texted me about it, I believe I said, I understand why Extinction Rebellion exists. And I think there's a place for it. And now, after reading this book, I was totally wrong. Absolutely not. The way they go about things is very wrong. It scares people. It's honest. There are points where it's just, like, flat-out lies. Or they're just using people's assumptions and not correcting them. And I'm just like, no, I take it back. Like, no. Absolutely not. There are better ways to go about things and they do it wrong. Like I'm not a huge fan of them because of some of the stuff that they I've seen them do. But then the more I learn about it, I'm like, nah. Like mm-hmm. I understand what XR's trying to do, but I don't really support them anymore.
1: So Gotcha. Yeah, yeah I uh uh Oh no. My train of thought just vanished. <laughs> uh but it was a oh, okay. So like this conversation of environmental alarmism has really taken over uh, the yeah. media to like an incredible level. When I say that, I'm like, if you look at the villains in almost all of our TV shows, right or movies right now, mm-hmm. even like the biggest ones, like it's it's all about like we gotta kill people to fix the world, or you know, like we gotta do this. So like like yeah. King's Kingsman, you've got your villains trying to like give everybody a disease so that a bunch of people will die and they can start over like a new Noah type thing and yeah Thanos right of it's
0: like snaps half the population yeah
1: yeah a lot of them your are your really group.
0: focused on uh, population mm-hmm. growth and I personally like it's a convenient excuse when my parents ask me why I'm not having kids basically is what I use it for but um. I don't like talking about it because one, it's not a, as big of an issue as people think, and two, when you talk about restricting population, then you ter- the conversation inevitably always turns to eugenics, which is like, "boo, we're not talking about that. We're not going to talk about yep. eugenics." And that's you a lot of the time like that happens. So I don't like. I get why it's easy to reframe like this leftist thought and then it's so easy to reframe it as something terrible because it is terrible
1: yeah and i i I, like from from a theological perspective i've never freaked out on things like that so like don't get me wrong i know like the more populated the world becomes the more we're going to struggle with certain things like that's that's a given but i think like a big part of the reason that we're going to struggle is because of humanity's brokenness and its inability to be generous and take care of one another and like not create the space that everybody's taking care of you know like usually people will suffer further down the ladder the more you go because uh someone up the ladder isn't as concerned about making sure it was taken care of. But like from a biblical perspective, God's main mission was like, you need to go and fill the whole earth. So it it seems weird to me from a theological perspective for God to be like, go fill the whole earth. Like that's your mission. And then like, be like, Oh, sorry, that didn't work out. Like it nearly killed all of you. You know, like, I don't think, I think God will provide for the mission that he's planted. while at the same time, we, in our sin, will get in the way of that mission by our greed taking over and not taking care of one another and loving our neighbors as we should um, but like that was a big question for uh even the Jews back in Jesus' time. uh they would have never asked in their time, "Do we have to have kids like I know that's a conversation that a lot of people have today, but in their time, yeah. the question to all the rabbis was, "When can we stop having kids <laughs> because <laughs>
0: When is enough enough?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, that was a big question for them because like the very first commandment, if you will, in the whole Bible is be fruitful and multiply. And that was considered as like a part of the law. And so part of their mind was like, I can still have babies. Do I still have to have babies? And the rabbis varied, but in many of their minds, it seemed like it was like, you can still have kids. That's what you're supposed to be doing, you know? So like... Uh, In their minds, they had the mission of we are here to fill the earth. God told us to do that. We are to have kids. Um, And when people come with the alarmism of like we're messing up the world or climate or this or that, uh, in my mind, I'm like, yes, we can. But I think if we're focusing on God, he will provide because I don't think he would (laughs) have. Given us a mission that would destroy us all, you know, so when you have your <laughs> villain, When you have a villain like Thanos come in and then put the 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 spiritual question right in front of everybody, you know, like mm-hmm. are you going to? Basically end up killing people for the sake of taking care of something or are you gonna have this pro-life of? We love each other. We take care of one another and and you know the Avengers clearly exactly. of like no we don't just kill you know we, we take care of one another so
0: yeah like because I, I mean i know you didn't get to this chapter at the end of the book talks about how when people were confronted with death it brought anxiety to them and it stresses them out um but when they were encouraged to think about dying like they were going to die but they're not de- dead dead that they were more reflective and more almost hopeful about the things that they that they could had accomplished or done and i think in the same we have to apply it in the same sense here um it went in conservation because when we tell people cuz we did a whole episode on climate grief like mm. when we tell people the world is ending we're all going to die that's terrifying and you feel so helpless. Like and I work in conservation and I know it feels so helpless sometimes. It's like, well what's the point? What's the point of getting up in the morning? But when you hear something is failing, like it's like, "Oh, this plant is that's habitat is so fragmented it can't grow." And it's like, "Okay, well that's a problem that I can solve." Like how do we reconnect these habitats so they're not fragmented so this plant will like thrive it doesn't it doesn't become overwhelming because it's not it doesn't seem final if that makes any sense Mm -hmm. um yeah it's like i'm sorry this book this book is so good i i had to rethink how i think about conservation because it, it is the way a lot of conservationists go about it when they go to poor countries. It is a form of neocolonialism because you're not from there. You don't know what's happening in, in the country that you're in. And you are sitting there and telling them what's good. What's good for them. Well, he has this woman throughout called Bernadette, and she is a woman who lives in the Congo. And she deals with baboons eating her sweet potatoes. And we learned about these, like, human-wild, like, conflicts um, when I got my master's degree, and it's something very consistent that they have to deal with. So you can't go, you can't tell them to not shoot the bamboo, the bamboo, the baboons, because, like, it affects their life. Like, that's her food. She doesn't get meat. She gets these sweet potatoes, and that's how she feeds her family. So you're telling her that she's more important than this baboon? That's ridiculous. So it's just like we have to we have to talk to people, we have to understand that this is not this is not our community. Like when we talked about build, building plants, half that was talking about what's the best thing for the community. You have to talk to the people who live there. We have to understand how their culture thrives instead of just being like, well, we're putting a park here now, so you have to move.
1: Mm-hmm yeah uh, but I think oh good,
0: no, I was like, and that was the first half of the book, like the first third of the book, yeah. anyway,
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that was I think even where he lands on a lot of these subjects was surprising to me, you know, like for and he mentions like the Simpsons as an example of like you know nuclear, nuclear energy. Yeah. You got the three-eyed fish and and
0: immediately when he was talking about it, it's like oh it was bad in the eighties. That was the first image in my head, and I was like oh that toxic sludge from the Simpsons and the three-eyed fish.
1: Yeah, and he talks about uh, like uh, um, Chernobyl, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. And like when we think of these things, we think of like that's what nuclear does and that it's just like going to create three eyed fish and all this. And, and I think the way that he phrased it was actually like, this is a good thing and a good alternative. If I was understanding.
0: Yeah. So nuclear energy has less, so it, ha- it consumes less and the way you create the energy, it's not as high as high of a, um, there's, you're 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 using less, you're creating less, and the waste is less, and it's clean burning. It's all about it is really good. So like coal creates really bad emissions, and you're digging up the planet to find this stuff. Uh, natural gas is better than coal, but not as great, like not as good as nuclear. Um, and renewables are technically good, but like solar panels use a bunch of toxic materials in order to create them. And then to make a space big enough for them, you basically have to clear out all the land. Like he was talking about how they made that solar panel uh, field. It they was like to-
1: 450 times the yeah. amount of land that you needed to put windmills up. I think that was a number he used when he heard, when I heard that I was like, holy cow, <laughs> like 450 times the amount of land.
0: Like there, it's it's such a thing. You know the the West Wing, the TV show. They actually have an episode where they have to talk to all these fringe people. One of them wants to build solar panels enough to power the all of the U.S. And it basically is like, oh, do you like the the area of like New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, and Utah, and like two other states? And I was like. That's how much space we're gonna need to power the whole of the U.S. And I'm like, that's that's a lot of states. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs>
1: and then it's base too, as he mentions. You know, like it's 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 got too many variables. Uh, basically, is the sun has to be out, and if it's not out, <laughs> then it, like in other countries, I think he said like they'd have solar panels, but like. They mm-hmm. go through it just trying to charge their phones and whatnot, and uh, I think that's why he was saying, "Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good benefit, but uh, still not as effective as something like nuclear." I think he was "I don't know." For me, I'm the guy on the fringe, you know, where I'm thinking like nuclear create three eye Simpsons fish, <laughs> and, yeah, and then I'm hearing because... a scientist say the opposite. Of, that's like... because,
0: uh, that like of decades of false information being spread like he was talking about it it was shocking to me uh organizations that i respected how much they flip-flopped on views and points where they would just outright lie because it's part of the reason i hate PETA. i've hated it since high school because i've known it's full of lies and they do things that aren't cool and like when he was talking about the sierra club and they initially were supportive of nuclear power And then the nuclear power plant wanted to build a second one. But that's where they were going to put a park. And initially Sierra Club was like, that's fine. But then they changed their mind and just flat out started lying to people in the 80s. And then they ended up closing a bunch of plants. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the thing that I hate the most. And I spend so much time telling people, do your research. You have to know stuff. And they're just out there blatantly lying and it was so saturated in our culture that like we didn't didn't know we didn't know
1: yeah i think that that's a struggle is like chapter by chapter he got into hot topic after hot topic and he did not land anywhere i expected him to land based on (laughs) what i as an average person have been taught from just average news articles (laughs)
0: Uh I I have a degree and there were some chapters there's only 12 chapters guys but there's so there's some chapters one's like an he, hour long <laughs> the way he structures it is the very thing he opens with is something that you understand and you're like oh yeah this makes sense but by the time I had gotten over halfway through the book and it was the first thing he mentioned and I 100% agreed with it I knew it was wrong I immediately thought this man is going to spend the next chapter just tearing apart everything I know And he goes into that with like plastics. So, plastic straws were this big thing. Um, I don't know. They are like getting rid of them was a big thing a couple of years ago. And I always said that they are a literal straw man because they're not, they're just a way for corporations to be like, oh, we solved the problem. But it's even bigger than that. It's bigger than that. Like, yes, they are bad for sea turtles. Absolutely. And you have to cut them up in a right way to keep them from being terrible. But when he was pointing out like, styrofoam and how when it's exposed to sunlight it actually degrades so that cuts down the half life of the plastic or like actually like recycling plastic doesn't work as often as you think it would like it was just mind-blowing absolutely mind-blowing or that like, plastic was invented as a way to save a bunch of species, like a, bun- a species of sea turtles, where they were taken, killed for their shell, and their shell was used as, like, a plastic-type thing. And it's just...
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Daniel asks in our comments, straws are, like, less than 3% of disposable plastic usage, right?
0: Yes, they are a minute amount of plastic usage absolutely it's uh it's just a way to distract from bigger issues
1: is it similar to when hotels are like we don't want to wash your clothes every day we want to save the environment but they really mean like we want to save us money
0: right it saves you money like 70 percent of all emissions are from like 10 companies so like driving your car less does help however not as much as you would hope but, yeah, so it's just, it's just definitely one of those things where you, doing these things is good. When people say, I'm doing this to help the environment, you are helping, and it's something that you can do, and I don't want anybody to think I can't do anything because you absolutely can. Those things absolutely do help because when all of us are doing it and say, we want this, we want this, Then governments take notice and they'll pass legislation that will actually affect those companies that are putting out those emissions or nuclear power plants start to be like converted back from coal plants and they will be built and will use clean burning fuel. Like these are like this is something that can happen. So don't feel like you recycling does nothing because it does things. It's important.
1: Yeah, of course. I don't think we're questioning that at all. No, I think it's just this. This book never questions like we need to do something. It just addresses what we have always thought, at least as lay people of this (laughs) science world, where general truths kind of rephrases it all for us from a scientific perspective. Which oh, yeah. takes me back to the whole, like, Jesus thing, right? We thought we got it in the Old Testament. Jesus walks in, reframes it all. And we're like, oh, we, we missed it, you know. And now we need to reframe how we're thinking again.
0: Yeah, it absolutely does make you rethink uh, how you think about things and things that I, I personally have been wrong about. And I was just like, okay. this is Because there's a point halfway through the book where you feel so bogged down. I'm like, should we even do conservation? <laughs> Anymore? Does it? Are we doing all the wrong things? Because <laughs> there's a whole—we did a whole episode on fast fashion, and then he points out buying fast fashion actually helps people in poor countries. And I'm just like, oh no, <laughs> am I taking money from people? Yeah. <laughs> so sure but at just... the
1: same time, it still has the justice issue, which is yes, constantly it's a, it's... what he comes back to—is like,
0: yes, some of these acts. things are
1: good, but it's injustice. Some of these things are bad causing injustice and it's just a whole mess when it comes to good and bad mixed into the same thing
0: yeah it absolutely is it's just it, it 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 overwhelms you with the amount of information um in it and i'm i know i keep looking down here because i have a book in my hand and he ends he ends the book discussing um how this is like religion to us to to scientists, how um environmental alarmism takes the place like replaces religion um in a sense where it gives them something to believe in and they're like desperate to put the point across um and it. Oh, here we go. I found I found the quote I was looking for. It's like in the early 20th century, an American scholar William James defined religion as the belief in an unseen order and that our supreme good lies in adjusting ourselves thereto. Um so uh, this is literally like definition of religion, not saying like this is our religion. Um and another scholar defined religion more broadly to include the belief systems and moral framework frameworks. For an environmentalist, the unseen order we need to adjust ourselves to is nature. So they take it and almost put it on a pedestal and they shift it to like, our God is dying and we have to save it. And, you, and it, it's no different than like um, religious extremism. It's just seen as the logical point of view because it's backed by science. But as we've learned, it's not always backed by correct science or knowledgeable science.
1: And if it's not correct science, I think it's not called science, but I
0: (laughs) He also equates veganism and vegetarianism to kind of like a neo-religion. And I have a lot of feelings about um, those two specific viewpoints. And they also have to do a lot with justice, because When you stop eating protein, you have to supplement that with something else. And in a lot of countries, a lot of poor nations, uh, protein that they get is either meat or in the case of quinoa, it is one of their main sources of protein that is a seed because meat is expensive. But then people started becoming vegetarians and vegans. And so they replaced this essential part of their diet with quinoa. And it's still being grown in those countries. But now those people cannot afford to buy quinoa because it's so expensive because that place that grows it and cultivates it can't package it and sell it to richer countries like Europe and the U.S. for more money than selling it to a poor farmer who has no other way than to get like his protein through this seed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that bothers me so much. Or like leather, for instance, a lot of people like plastic leather, but we consume so much beef that we have all this hide and a lot of that hide just gets chucked away to rot. So if we embraced leather as a material, it would like it wouldn't it would be used and we wouldn't just be throwing away a part of an animal that we don't like. As a cruelty like thing. So I, I don't know. I'm not saying if you're a vegan or a vegetarian, you're a bad person. It's just I have always had a lot of personal issues with veganism and vegetarianism for those reasons, specifically. Mostly the quinoa. I talk about quinoa a lot because that specific thing bothers me very much. And I know it's like one point, but it's a very good point. I feel like Italian. It's a very good point. <laughs> but yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's just another example exactly of what this book does on every topic is like we would come to it. Even I was coming to that chapter, like, you know, veganism, like that would be the preferable route, you know, Uh, at least with the way that the Bible starts. That was the route, you know. Right. Um, But then after Noah's time, God was like, "Okay, you've all had a burger. You're never going back. I know I'm giving this concession to you. You can eat meat now you know like that was (laughs) noah was where eating meat was god basically saying like humanity's already fallen they're not going to reverse on this go ahead um right so then the question becomes if we live in that world already where it's going to happen and even biblically god's conceded to allow it to happen um what would be justice in the midst of a world that looks like that Right, which is what you just framed it as, uh, and that yeah, that's an interesting way to think about it. I didn't didn't always realize. I never thought about that exactly, except in the there's a new Tom Hanks movie that just came out. Um, uh, something News of the World. If you heard yeah. about this movie, there was one scene, if I remember right, maybe I'm crazy, when they like walked into this like place of outlaws, and they were just like. Ripping up cows for the leather and then just basically throwing the rest, like, which is to literally the opposite stuff. of
0: what I just said. Yeah. yeah,
1: well, like I saw that and I was like, oh, why would like this, this is horrible, you know? Like you can't yeah. just strip the leather off the cow and then leave the meat out to rot in the sun, and and that was just like a bunch of dead cows everywhere. And...
0: Yeah, so uh, this new documentary came out on Netflix. Like this, this is part of. Like, to your point, I promise I didn't just go. Yeah, no, let's talk about no, something right, I don't want to. I do. Um, called uh, seaspiracy, which bugs me because conspiracy was right there, and they chose to ignore it. Um, <laughs> and it basically just puts so much guilt on the consumer of fish, and they go and like they go out talking about like plastics and all this other stuff in the ocean. And it's like actually, what's the biggest danger is overfishing. Overfishing is a problem. Like, it is an issue, but also, in this book, they talk about how they were trying to develop farmed salmon and how it takes pressure off of overfishing, and that environmental groups were like, boo, salmon. And there's this consistent reinforcement throughout the book where we think natural is good and man-made is bad. But a lot of times man made things saved nature, like plastic, the invention of plastic saved sea turtles, and the invention of oil like vegetable oils saved whales from being overfished yeah. and killed for oil like like we we create things to help us along, and that in turn has saved nature so we can't reject things that we've made because they're man-made like some things are good that we've made so they help they help us and, and like the, like I was like I read this book and then that came out and my friends were like have you seen it and I'm like I'm not even going to watch it because I know exactly what it's going to say and it's all going to be wrong and I just read this book and it will bother me um not to say that he disparages religion because he definitely acknowledges that there's a point to it. He says there's nothing wrong with religions and other and often a great deal right about them. They've long provided people with the meaning and purpose they need particularly in order to survive life's many challenges. Like religions can be a guide to positive pro-social and ethical behaviors. So like you said, like Jesus recontextualizes the Bible and he he basically is like religion is important and has a place and helps us. But we as like people who are rejecting religion have places of the neo religion and we're taking it to the extremes and that is bad.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, even atheists started creating their own churches, which is kind of ironic. (laughs) (laughs) But like those atheists Yeah. I remember reading an article about atheistic churches where they could come together and basically when you're living that kind of ideology, you know, science truly becomes what your, your ultimate goal kind of like what you were saying earlier is like if the earth is dying and that's our God, then we're going to do whatever we can to like save it. And that's, you know, the big difference with Christian religion, if you will, is like God is not the earth. God made the earth and right. like, you know, he can take care of it. And we were at the same time put here to help legitimately. That is part of the reason that we exist on the earth is to, take care of it, uh, cause he gave that to us, but at the same time, it's not like God can't, uh, take care of it himself or is unable mm-hmm. to, or that God will die if we don't do something, you know, that was, right. I actually made that post earlier today for Maundy Thursday was, uh, um, that the old gods of old like they would say to humanity we created you so you can take care of us we need food we need drink we need clothes we need uh housing so you built them temples for houses you gave them sacrifices for food uh but like with the christian religion yeah you gave sacrifices but you were never feeding god it was just a pleasant smell to him you know so when when atheistic religion becomes kind of the worship of science and the earth right you're again worshiping this false god that needs you or it will die or uh can't take care of himself otherwise itself so uh would be a stark difference there but yeah i think I think alarmism to many extents is like like i I wasn't aware until i think last year of just how like anxiety ridden, ridden people are about like, especially young people, people way yes. younger than us. Like we're yep. all going to die and it's all your old people fault. You know, Like Be, because, <laughs>
0: because they're constantly being reinforced about this narrative that like, this is all we have. Everything's going to end. There's nothing we can do. And they're just like, what's the point? Like Greta Thunberg's whole thing is people go her, tell her to go to school and learn about it. She's like, we already know things about it. Why aren't we doing things about it? Because people keep, all oh, the world's, every, every, like, 10 years something comes out. And it's like, the world's going to end in 10 years. The world's going to end in 12 years. And I'm not, I would be lying if I said I didn't have a period of my life where I was like, everything, we're all going to die. We have to talk about this. It was, like, six months in 2019 where I was like, this is it. This is the end. Like, <laughs> finit. <laughs> um, and, and it you really, really makes you really think about, how what we're putting on people and how this this is being used and 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 I'm it's it's freaky and when he gives examples of different ways that like we've been lied to about science or science has been exaggerated or um the a lot of it is sometimes NGOs lie which is frustrating and a lot of the times the media because it's sensationalist, and that's how media gets views, they'll make it sound worse than it actually is. And it really comes back to that whole, like, two-parter we did where it's, you have to do the work, and that's hard. And even I do the work, and I was wrong about stuff. So you can't always be 100% right, but we cannot go into despair. Like, we have to be, I watched a TED Talk from this woman, not named Uh, Christina Fieres and she talks about how we need to be radically optimistic and she's so right like not blindly ignoring reality that surrounds us surround us surrounds us but um it's also not a naive faith that everything will take care of itself even if we do nothing because then that's irresponsible like we have to be optimistic that we can do things and we can take action and what we do does matter. So we can give a support actions in poor countries to open hydroelectric dams and coal plants because even though we know that it's bad here, there's no way that we can have true equality if we don't allow people and countries to lift themselves up in the same way that we did because he goes through and says people want to leapfrog over that middleman and you just can't like you have to go through it because when you have that kind of power you build that infrastructure and that infrastructure is essential to to, like half this book can be put into thirds. The first third is basically like human um, wildlife conflict and also Um, just interactions between yourself and the environment. And then he talks a lot about nuclear energy and power, which that's his specialty. I would be surprised if it wasn't in the book. And the last part is about how it specifically harms us, like in alarmism harms us as human beings and how we have to be optimistic. And he suggests taking an environmental humanist approach. Instead of just calling yourself an environmentalist, like you're an environmental humanist. So you recognize that there are things about the environment that you can do and you're going to put humans in the center of that. Um, and, and we can't always put nature in the center of it because we interact with it. Like, like you ever hear that theory of just simply by watching an observation changes what you're seeing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like it, it has a lot like naturalists do this where they're like, if I'm watching like birds, or um, foxes in their environment and they're aware of my presence, it kind of changes what their behavior. So it's, it's basically that like we have like we, we, we put nature in the center of it, but we've also been around for so long that we've changed it. So we just have to do our best. And like, there's been a shift in the um, non-extremist NGO sector, which is where I work um, towards habitat, um conservation like full top down like conservation of habitats and he points out like we're telling other countries that they need to save their forests but we have none and like countries like scotland are actually working to rebuild their forests and um reconnect habitats because habitat fragmentation is a huge issue and that has a lot to do with like overall biodiversity loss and that's how we can change that and still work around people and what i found particularly shocking, is that there are two national parks in Scotland. There are villages in those national parks. People live in the national parks, but when he was pointing out national parks in Africa, they took people who lived in those national parks and then told them to leave.
1: Yeah. And so, I was like, wait a minute now. It's the injustice factor. It's an mm-hmm. unpro life attempt to exalt nature over even, you know, the humanity living there type uh, I and mean, there was something that you said a little bit ago, too, that I think further illustrates the, like, similarities of how alarmism can become religion is the constant, the world is ending in this amount of time type thing. Like, that's in the church all the time, right? That's, yeah <laughs> like, science is similar to, like, the book of Revelation, I guess, between us is, like, we read revelation and we're like, this is the one that tells us when the world's ending. And then somebody shows up and are like, we got four years. And on this date, everything explodes, you know, and science does that too with alarmism where it's like, we've got this many years until something happens and the world explodes. And, and uh, again, it's just kind of like a, that would almost have this prophetic side to it, but on both sides, it's always been proved wrong it's like oh, okay the world didn't end when we said it was going yeah. to so now we got to create a new date said we said we got the the facts wrong and whatnot Um uh, daniel did say you know i do worry about being overly optimistic we used to have discussions about evs in the office and the overly optimistic folks use that as an excuse for inaction in right. sunny central texas installing rooftop solar typically pays itself back in six to eight years Um, and so like that, that may be the case in his particular area, you know, contextualized.
0: Yes, that is what we'll explain, talks about solar panels specifically, Texas is really sunny, but actually Scotland, um, over half the year, I, we only get like four or five hours of sunlight a day. Mm -hmm. There's (laughs) literally a solar panel powered slow down sign and it only works half the year because it doesn't get enough sunlight to power it. So what may work for people in Texas is not sustainable here in Scotland. Um, and that's, that's part of the issue with that specifically. But I do understand what he means about being overly optimistic because you don't want to say everything's fine. We're doing great because we're not, and it's not, everything is not fine and there are things that we need to do. Absolutely. Um, that's why I said it's because, because that's why I said that thing about, um, like not a naive faith that everything will take care of itself because that is irresponsible. Like sitting there being like, Oh, it's fine. Like, no, like we have to do something, but we can't let ourselves like say the world's there's no point. Like we're all going to die. The world will end. This is irreversible.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, uh, that's that again, that's that religious spin of like, everything's going to end and nothing matters. You know, like, so we've, I've used this analogy before plenty of times like global warming, right? If the water is raising, there's the alarmism size says we're all going to be flooded. And then there's the, uh, um, at least like a Christian narrative of God said he wouldn't flood the earth again, but then there's the responsible narrative in the middle to say, the idea of global warming isn't the story of God flooding the world. It's about humanity flooding the world. Right. <laughs> and we need to be responsible because what did God put us here to do? Well, to take care of this planet and and spread out and fill the whole thing. So let's on one side know that God can take care of this, but on the other mm-hmm. side, know that he has made us aware of what we're doing and in the middle, find a responsible way to say, we need to live differently to create uh, a better world and to face yeah. the facts of what we have going on. And that's something when you only have alarmism you know i know that's just partially a distant a difference for like mm-hmm. us as christians versus alarmism if if you only have alarmism then that is like the ultimate thing that you have to pay attention to whereas you know when you're trying to like the the consciously aware christian also subjecting themselves to god that creates a, a different level. And then you have the other side, like Daniel was saying, just the Christians are like, ah, who cares? God can take care of it, you know, and that's right. irresponsible because that's not what God, why would he have co-labored and partnered with us if he was just going to do everything?
0: So. <laughs> exactly. Free will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and he Daniel said, "Uh, talk exactly. Tossing trash in the ocean doesn't jive with God's mission." No, um, yeah, I'm card definitely
0: card. not saying. Definitely not no. Saying
1: you no, you never said that. I think it's just expanding. Damon <laughs> said it. No. Yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely. Just blaming yeah. for everything. Um, I am aware that we've been talking about this for a really long time, and these episodes are only like half an hour, forty minutes long. Um, I can talk about this book all day, and uh. I guarantee that I will definitely be bringing this back to the table. It is a game changer. It's definitely something you should read and don't read in a week because it hurts your brain. I, no joke. I, I read it and I had to sit and I just had to look at the ground for a couple of minutes. Cause I was just like, okay. Like I went back through my Twitter feed today over the last year and I looked at, all the insane stuff I retweeted and some of it I was just like, this is wrong. This is wrong. So it is, it is, it's good. It's a good book. And, um, I know Jamin, when he texted me, was like, now don't be offended from the title. Um, <laughs> don't be offended from the title. Cause it does hurt us. And I really like that. Everything is backed by science and it's backed by like, it just, it just, Jamin's right. Justice for people, social justice, climate justice, how we fix the world, like, we have to constantly keep it in the front of our minds, because it just feels like that's a lot of the root of the of the issues that we have.
1: Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons that this book is so much more balanced. It's, like it's getting to the root, you know, yeah. and uh, a lot of times when we're just focused on science, it feels like we're just, like, sprinkling some quick fixes rather than taking care of the root. Just like if you were to go into recovery, you don't just like, <laughs> hey, here's a few like tips to try to fix your alcoholism. It's like, yeah, you are going to get some tips. You're going to have to try these things, but we also need to talk about your life and get into the roots and the inner healing and where this came from and why it's here and why you keep doing it. And once we've really taken care of all that, then maybe you'll find some freedom, you know? Um, Absolutely. And that's kind of what this book, I think, helps with. It's it's ironic the way you're talking about it is Michael Heiser, the guy who suggested it, the book he wrote messed me up. <laughs> it's my number one favorite <laughs> book of all time, but it messed me up on, on understanding my entire faith because it was like, yeah, actually, you've been taught everything wrong ever since... Yeah and and like page by page I, I didn't read it over three weeks because I didn't have a podcast to do I read it over like half a year and like I had to sit down and just like stare at the ground for like you know just like you for like 10 minutes after I'd finish three pages and be like what? how did I not know this and what was funny is like that's coming down from the scholars it never makes it from the scholars to the pastors to the church and so this is what I feel it's doing from the it scientific is. It perspective, from the scientists to the lay people, because a lot of us are just going with what we've learned, you know, from from news articles or, for the analogy, what we've heard in the the pews, you know. So yeah, yeah. No,
0: and it has it has already affected my job in because I work. I just got a promotion, oh. so I work in the policy part. Thank you of it and. When I'm talking about, like, how we're going to move forward with certain aspects of our policy because I work with plants, um, I had to think, I'm like, okay, are, is this the right thing that we're doing? What is the implication of this? Are we telling people how to do things correctly? Because we have a whole thing in what we want to accomplish it involves farmers. Well, we can't go in and tell a farmer, hey, you're doing things wrong. Um, because that's their livelihood and also we can't say hey you have to charge more for this because then things that things that people want to buy will cost more and we're not helping them like at all so I just realized that my brain stopped working in the middle of that sentence and I apologize if that made zero sense.
1: I think it made sense earlier you (laughs) might have said something backwards about how we need to love the gorilla more than a human being, but I think you just tripped on your words and meant it the other way. Yes. Around.
0: I did. <laughs> I did. I might have this is being recorded we'll for this Everyone three. who's been watching, uh I know we have we've had consistently a couple of people watching. I appreciate you and I apologize mm-hmm. for my words being wrong sometimes. So
1: we're all wrong at some point i do it all the time we're all learning and this book is a great place uh if so i'm not a scientist i'm the urban pastor but if aaron the scientist the environmental scientist says this is a good book that has been factually and footnotedly proving itself i would agree with her along with the thousands of other readers who seem to have uh rated this book and whatnot so it's on audible you know or kindle or whatever physical pages are those exist too. uh but we're not 40 and we don't write emails or read i was going
0: (laughs) to buy it in paperback because i do like to annotate my books because hey it turns out annotating your kindle is very hard but i wouldn't have gotten in time so fair enough. you can also buy things in (laughs) paperback
1: Uh but we appreciate
0: this for five minutes.
1: <laughs> we appreciate all of you in the comments and uh uh people have popped in and out. This will go up on the Air Environment podcast, just the audio. Uh or you can catch us live on the Jackson Cloud webpage and you can further discuss what we've been talking about on the Jackson Cloud um Discord channel.
0: Absolutely.
1: We're an online church, and Aaron would be happy to chat back and forth with you in the Air Environment channel of Jackson Cloud Discord. To get into that, go to jxincloud.com. Uh, with that, uh, who knows, maybe we'll have to do another episode on this same book next week since there's so good uh, I mean,
0: I'm probably going to pick parts of it to talk about specifically. Fair enough. Uh, because this was just us waxing poetic on a book. So oh,
1: Please, Over, anyway. yeah, like 500, 600 pages worth. So. <laughs> Check out the book yourself, and we will catch you guys next time.